Hello, good to see you all. Well, um, this series we are wondering and pondering about the church that we see. As Pete alluded to last week, uh, years ago, we wrote the vision statements that you see out in the wall, and it was long before we were leading the church. God gave us an incredible vision of the church that we, we see and that he sees, more importantly. And it was really hard for us to know how to follow on from um, justice matters. And I do want to say that it's, it's not a case that that was a teaching series and it's forgotten about. We will be absolutely exploring as a church some really tangible opportunities that we can get involved with. But... When we were praying last week in pre-service prayer, God gave me a word, which was, um, we don't just want to accumulate, we want to assimilate. And the danger is that when we hear great teaching and we hear a teaching series like Justice Matters, where every week we are challenged about something enormous across our planet, that we can accumulate more and more knowledge, we can accumulate more and more understanding. But the thing about accumulation is we can have all of these things around us, but never actually take them into the core of who we are. Um, assimilation is when something becomes a part of you, when actually it becomes embedded into your fabric, into your DNA, into your identity. And so this journey with justice, that, that series was just a departure point for us. And the challenge is not to accumulate more great knowledge, it's actually to assimilate that into the depth of who we are. That's a freebie for you this morning. We see a church that speaks life, hope, and truth in every circumstance. That is written as one of our vision statements, and there's more to it than that. But this morning, I want to revisit one of our absolute foundations as a church, which is Speak Life. If you've been here for five minutes, then you will have encountered Speak Life, whether you know it or not. One of the things that people sometimes say to us in DNA is, Oh, I walked into this church and it just felt like everything was too good to be true. People were friendly. They're so positive. They're so enthusiastic. And I've just been waiting for the sheen to come off. Now, if you're around us for long enough, we're not perfect. So the sheen probably will dull a little. But some of what they're rubbing up against is this absolute intrinsic founding principle in our church, a thread of identity that weaves through, which is that we are a church that believes in speaking life. In Proverbs 18, 21, there's this well known verse which is always quoted when we talk about this and I make no apology for pulling it out again. The tongue has the power of life and death. In other words, what comes out of your mouth, the words that you speak matter. They shape, they create, they have the power to construct but similarly, they have the power to destruct. I know it's true because I see it in my own life and in my own atmosphere. Years ago, in one of my first ever jobs, every single morning I would come into my workplace and I would be greeted by a particular individual who, let's just say, hadn't quite worked out the speaking life principle yet. And I would walk in buoyant and tigger-like, which I am, 
And I would walk out after about 20 minutes feeling like this. Oh, I don't even know how I'm going to get through today. I need more coffee. I need some help. Goodness me, I've got this coming up. I've got that coming up. It's the effects of not speaking life. And I felt this culture clash. Ever feel like that? Okay, kids, I'm glad. Oh, thanks for nodding and just letting me know that you're listening this morning. That's like, it's very dark, isn't it? Hello. Um, recently, back in March, we were in Cornwall and we received the news that Pete's brother um, had some form of cancer in his foot, that he had some form of cancerous tumour. And he, um, he had melanoma 12 years or so before, and he had come through the other side, and we'd seen God do some amazing things, and we'd also seen uh, the medical profession do some amazing things. I don't think those two things work in opposition. Hallelujah, they work together, right? That's part of God's healing process. Woo! Um, but I remember where we were. We were walking along a cliff top, and Pete was on the phone, and I could see his countenance change. And you know when bad news is coming in. You know when a bad report comes, don't you? And put the phone down and chatted. We had the girls with us, so we got back into the car, and we just looked at each other and said, we need to worship. So we did. We, we cranked up I Raise a Hallelujah, which is one of our anthem songs. And we just began to sing it out in the car and just to focus ourselves on God. And as we did, I felt the Lord say this to me. Well, first thing I heard was this incredible lion's roar. I could hear it. And it was like, you know, have you ever been at the zoo and a lion or a tiger has roared? This has happened to me. I was wearing a very nice bobbly hat and it was quite colourful. Um, it was winter. And it, this was a tiger. It wasn't a lion. And this is an aside and I've got so much to get through. But anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate it because I've started. Um, so... We were just walking and we're looking at this tiger. I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful. And Aria was with me. And all of a sudden, this tiger just turned its head, looked at my hat, and it let out this roar. I jumped out of my skin. I could feel all the hairs, like everywhere, just standing on end. It was so powerful. Well, as we were worshipping... That's what I heard. I heard the roar of the Lion of Judah, and I felt the Lord say, who has the final word? I have the final word over Dave's life. And that was just like this nugget of faith that we were able to add to the other things that he'd been speaking to Pete and that he's spoken to different people as you guys have been praying over that journey. And last week, Pete shared the ongoing and unfolding testimony of what God is doing. Question, who has the final word? When the chips are down, when it looks like game over, when a bad report comes, I want to ask the question, church, who has the final word in our lives? You see, there's a lot of confusion about what speak life is and isn't. And I'm going to start with what it isn't. Speak life is not name it and claim it. We are not a church into name it and claim it theology. Frankly, we're not, we, we just don't do that. It's not about having some kind of positive mantra that we hang on to. And no matter what anything else says around us, we're just repeating a phrase or a mantra. It's not a formula. It's not something that we can become superstitious about. Ooh, don't speak death by saying that. No, we're not, we're not a superstitious church. That's not speak life. 
And speak life isn't denying the facts or denying the reality. Pete did not come off the phone and say, hey, guess what, babe? Dave hasn't got cancer. No, he didn't say that. He said, guess what, babe? The cancer seems to have returned. There's something going on in Dave's foot. It doesn't sound like great news. However, dot, dot, dot. Okay? Speak life is not denying reality. We're not a church that suspends reality and buries our head in the sand like a bunch of ostriches. It's not positive thinking. It's not wishful thinking. Just clearing that up for you. I can't go back. So speak life is. Just imagine that says is now. I did them the wrong way around. Um, Speak life is the language of faith and not fear. It's speaking from a vantage point of faith and not fear. It's the language of hope and not hopelessness. It's speaking God's word to build up and to encourage others. It's articulating what God sees in the dark places or situations we encounter. It's speaking with kindness, with love and with grace. Words that edify, that cover with grace rather than words of gossip, slander and negativity. It's speaking out what we see in faith. I don't know if any of you, you're probably not old enough, a lot of you, to remember the game catchphrase. Do you remember that? And you used to say, say what you see. Well, speak life, it is and it isn't that. It's not just articulating that which we see before us. It's actually articulating what our spiritual eyes see. It looks at dead-end situations, dreams and relationships, and calls out God's life, God's reality. See the facts and apply God's truth. And it's speaking out his heart and perspective over situations and over people. Now, the people who taught me speak life were our founders, Rick and Bev Murrell, and I'm sure that a lot of us here today learned what we learned about speak life because of them. And it's something that really I'm going to teach on, but it has to be caught, not taught, or not just taught. And one of the passages that they really unpacked well for us is this one, the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. I'm only going to brush on this today. Um, I mean, Bev's written a whole book. It's called Speak Life and Shut the Hell Up. That is genuinely the title of the book. Um, The premise being that as we speak life, actually we silence the voice of the enemy. We silence those other voices. So I know it does sound very irreverent, but actually It's one of the best books that you could ever read on speaking life. Um, But I know that speak life works. I know it works. Should I tell you how I know? Because we're standing here today in this incredible auditorium worshipping together. And years ago, a couple came from Australia. They left a successful, flourishing church. And they came to the other side of the world, uprooting their children. Why? Why? Because they saw where everybody else saw bones of a small chapel that was maybe just beginning to decline a little, that didn't have strong leadership, that looked like in the years to come it might not survive, where everybody else saw bones. They saw an army. They saw what God saw. And we're part of the army that they saw. They saw a church. And they spoke life over that church. And they called out potential. And they did it with so many of us. The things that they sowed deep into the core of our being enabled us to think we can do more than just attend church on a Sunday. We can do more. We can change the world. And we dared to believe God at his word. 
Just a brief thing about the, va the, valley, the valley of dry bones. Number one, it was full of bones. A great many bones, and they were bones that were very dry. That's what verse 1 tells us. And the Spirit of the Lord sets Ezekiel in the middle of this valley in a vision. And it says in verse 2, He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. If you ever need evidence that speak life does not deny the reality, it's there. Because the Spirit of God actually walks the prophet back and forth. Why? Because he wants him to take in the magnitude of the problem. He wants him to see the impossibility. He wants him to see that these bones are not just dry, they are super dry. Sorry, that's for free. That was such a pastor joke, what happens? He... He wants us to look at the, the scale of the problem. And he, he's, he's in the middle of this valley. So in other words, he's surrounded on all sides by impossibility. That's important. But against the facts, God asks this incredible question in verse 3. Can these bones live? It's the question that preempts speaking life. When we look at the dead-end situations, when we look at circumstances that are tricky, when we look at somebody who we think can never change, God breathes this question into our hearts and says, can these bones live? And I love his response because actually, really interestingly, he doesn't say yes to that question. He's really honest, but he doesn't say no either. His answer is so wise. I wish I had this kind of wisdom. He says, only you know God. And in saying only you know God, what he's really doing is saying, what do you think, God? What do you see, God? I don't know, but you know. Let me hear your voice and see your perspective on this one. Before we can speak life, we need to see what God sees. And it's okay to say, I don't know. We don't always have to immediately have the faith-filled response of, yes, they can live. Actually, we can say, no, it's blatantly impossible, but let me see what you see. And then God gives the final word. And he says, this is what the Lord says to these bones. But interestingly, God could have spoken over those bones directly, couldn't he? God could have been the one to prophesy that. And we know that that mighty army would have arisen. But he doesn't do that. He asks Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones. He goes, you, speak to them. Speaking life is not speaking about the problem. It's speaking to the problem in faith. We have authority that God is giving us to use our words. We can speak to mountains and see them move in the spiritual realm. We can speak directly to those bones. We don't need a third party. Will we look crazy? Absolutely. But faith rarely looks sane, rational, or normal. It's just in our beautiful Britishness that we've made it look like that. Can I get an amen? amen. That is true. You see bones, God sees an army. That is the essence of speak life. And if you think about skylarks, that's exactly what we do. When we look at the dark night sky, we begin to speak out that the morning is coming, that the dawn will break, that God has a different agenda, and that no matter how much darkness we see over planet Earth, God's light is rising. 
I want to zero into a different passage today to talk through speaking life with you guys. So please turn in your Bibles to Numbers. We've got two chapters there. We're not going to read them all. You'll be glad to know. But I would love you to follow with me because this is very much more of a teaching message today um, rather than inspiration. And I want us to take a look. And I would encourage you in your life groups, unpack Ezekiel 37. Get hold of Bev's book. Read a little bit of that. And then unpack some of this Numbers stuff too. I want to talk about how we know and how we can recognize when people are speaking life, when we are speaking life, and how we can identify when we've stopped speaking life or when others are not speaking life around us. Because that's pretty important to be aware of the atmospheres that we are in. So, Numbers 13, let me set the scene for you. God says to Joshua, Uh, Sorry to Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. From each of their father's tribes, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Now, I love this about God because he sends us on a mission, but he's always gracious enough to give us a little hint as to what the outcome might be. And in this case, he drops a bigger hint than I usually do for Pete at Christmas, which is which I am going to give, right? It couldn't be much more clear, could it? Send the spies out. Hey, guess what? The land's yours. I'm giving it to you. It's got your name on it. Big hint. And leaders are chosen, 12 of them, one from each tribe. So 12 spies go out. We're going to pick it up. Verse, um, sorry, Numbers 13, verses 25 to 33. Okay, you with me? Let's read. When they returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days, they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregations of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh and brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the land's fruit. That's something that they've been asked to do, by the way, to come back with some produce. They reported to Moses and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. But mm -mm, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified, walled, and very large. Moreover, we saw there the descendants of Anak, people of great stature and courage. In a lot of translations, that's translated as giants, okay? The people descended from Amalek live in the land of the Negev, south country. The Hittite, the Jebusite, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the Dead Sea and along the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession of it, for we will certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people of Canaan, for they're too strong for us. So they gave the Israelites a bad report about the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we went in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, a part of the Nephilim. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Let's keep going. Numbers 14. Then all the congregation of Israel raised their voices and cried out, and the people wept that night. 
all the Israelites murmured in discontent against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Oh, that we had died in the land of Egypt. Oh, that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land of Canaan to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a new leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, and the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes as a sign of grief. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land through which we passed as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. It's not always fun speaking life, hashtag. Uh, but the glory and brilliance of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting before all the sons of Israel. Wow. Twelve spies. Same land. Same fruit. Saw the same things in front of them. Came back with two entirely polar opposite reports of the land that they had seen. The majority, they've seen their land through a lens of fear. They're definitely not life speakers. They come back with a, it can't be done, we're too small, we're grasshoppers, they're too big, we saw giants, we'll never survive. And then you have the minority report, Caleb and Joshua, it's awesome. It flows with milk and honey. It's an exceedingly good land. Let's go now. We can do it. What do you see? Grasshoppers or giants? So how can we tell when we're not speaking life? What does not speaking life look like based on this passage? Number one, it bolts on a butt. Verses 27 and 28 of Numbers 13. And we're just going to go through this in a linear way now so you can follow with me. Take a look at the text for yourself. Yes, they start really well, don't they? They say, it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And you think, ta-da, this is awesome. They love the land. Here's the fruit, and it's good fruit. And then, verse 28, there's a but. When you're surrounded by people... Listen to their language. And when you're talking, listen to your own. How many times do you present a positive, something, a truth about God, or something amazing that he's done, but then add a but? Let's not be those who bolt on a but to every statement that we have to say about God. Let's not be those who come and counter it. Oh, yeah, it was an amazing testimony, but don't forget that, whatever the next thing may be. These guys bolt on a butt before they've even begun. Not speaking life uses the language of can't. Verse 31, they say, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. You know, 
as a church leader, I love to surround myself with all sorts of people, and it's really important to have those counterbalances to my Tigger-like disposition. That's absolutely true. But there comes a point when you know that God is setting a particular agenda where eventually, if you hear the language of we can't for too long, oh, it's so difficult, and we are really blessed to be in a church here where we don't have, like loads and loads of red tape and protocol that we have to go through. But I remember a while ago when we presented, probably in our first year of leading the church, the fact that we felt in our hearts that God wanted to change the name of the church. I remember the faces of our leadership team. I love you guys. You're amazing. Um, And I remember all the necessary counterbalances coming back. But three years later, when we were still having the same conversations, there came a moment where it was like, well, do you know what? At this point, we're either going to do it or we're not going to do it, so let's just do it. The language of faith reaches a point of saying it can be done. There are difficulties. There are challenges. We don't ignore the risk. We don't ignore some of those things that are really important. But if God is saying it, then it can be done. And that's really important, isn't it? Because it's God's perspective that we're looking for. And in this scenario, God's already said, this is your land, guys. I'm giving this to you. This is my blessing to you after years, decades in the wilderness. And before that, captivity in Egypt, I'm taking you into a place that will flow with milk and honey. It's a place of abundance. And these guys come back and they're like, nah, can't be done. We definitely can't do it. We'll never survive. What does not speaking life look like? It's negative. Verse 32, so they gave the Israelites a bad report about the land. Or have you ever been in one of those meetings where someone brings feedback and there's just no redemptive edge? Have you ever sat in one of those? I mean... Constructive feedback is great, but there's only so much negativity you can take, right? Well, these guys, not only have they formed their own opinion about the fact that it can't be done, but they then bring a negative report back to an entire nation. They basically say, here's our report, and it's an absolute no can do. Computer says no. And they begin to leech their can't-do mentality beyond themselves into others. That is the absolute antithesis of speaking life. And we are so blessed that we don't find ourselves in a church where that happens. It doesn't mean that we don't feel afraid at times. It doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the impossibility. But when God begins to speak to us, we begin to communicate the language of faith. We begin to speak out his truth. Whereas what these guys begin to speak out is all of their fear, all of their negativity, and they stir it up. And the thing about that is that actually the negative report, the bad report that they have, is actually a distorted perspective. Now, there were people inhabiting the land, and I have no doubt that some of them were very tall and very strong. So that part of the report I don't necessarily think wasn't true. But it gets to a point where they have convinced themselves that they look like grasshoppers in these people's eyes. How could they possibly know that? How do they know what these people are thinking about them? They've gone so far into their downward spiral of fear and negativity that they have distorted the picture. They've distorted the truth. They're driven by their feelings. Their report is motivated by fear. 
We were like grasshoppers, verse 33, in our own sight. And the most crazy of all is in the verse before that, verse 32. This is a land that devours its inhabitants. It's like the Venus flytrap of lands. I mean, come on, guys, that's crazy. It's bonkers. All the people we saw are men of great stature. It's like everyone without exception is a giant. You know, that's what the lens of fear begins to do. It distorts our perspective. I know it. Oh, I've experienced it so many times in my own life. Fear is like a post-it note that places itself over your eyes. And when you are afraid of a situation, when you face uncertainty, when you begin to see some negative things that make you afraid, boom, it's right here and you cannot see beyond. And it prevents you actually from seeing the long-term perspective. More importantly, often it prevents us from seeing God's perspective. And we can kind of know it sometimes. Other people will speak truth into us and we know it. But then we bolt on our butts. We're like, yeah, you're right, but don't forget that. And we begin to speak out. Come on, thanks for nodding because I know we all do this. I do it. I definitely do. Um, or we can be around others who are bringing a negative report and we just may not have thought about it. Maybe we haven't seen it like that. But as they begin to bring more and more fearful ammunition, our own lens becomes distorted and their post-it note becomes our post-it note. And before we know it, we're all walking around blinded by the immediate post-it note. When God is saying, come up higher, see what I see, see the land as I see it, I've got territory for you to take. Grasshoppers or giants? Speak, not speaking life is speech that articulates what it sees minus what God sees. So it's not necessarily wrong for them to say what they think they've seen even if it's distorted, but they haven't gone to God and said, what do you see? I've seen this, but now you tell me what you see, God, which is what Ezekiel basically does when he says, I don't know, God, if these bones can live, but you tell me. They, they, they miss out that vital step in speaking life. And so what they do instead is just speak out all their opinions and all their thoughts. And they've had time. They've had a long journey. So over that process, it's just become bigger and bigger and bigger in their mind's eye. And it's become more and more out of hand. So not speaking life has forgotten to ask God what he sees. And that's dangerous, actually, because what we're doing is we're just speaking out our own thoughts and insecurities. We're speaking out of a place of our own inadequacy and not from that perspective of the kingdom. It breeds despair and discouragement, and that is a contagious thing. You see, what we look at when we get to Numbers 14, verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation of Israel raised their voices and cried out, and the people wept that night. So it spread from 10 negative spies to an entire people group. And it sounds to me like the fact that they're wailing and crying out and weeping, you know, they are not in a good place. It's not just a little bit of panic. It's they're grieving. They're, they're all grieving. They're like, we've spent all this time in the wilderness. For what? 
God's taking us into a land that's going to devour us. We're all going to die. We're, you know, we're like lemmings about to walk off a cliff. They've convinced themselves to that point. When we don't speak life, what we fail to appreciate is how contagious our words are, how much they contaminate our hearts and our thinking. And you will notice, and I notice this in my own life, when I begin to articulate something unhelpful that isn't life speaking about myself or about a situation, the moment those words are out, I seem to find more. And then I find more. And what felt like a big thing to articulate at the beginning is just like the gatepost at that point. I'm, I'm down the other side of the mountain. There's a brilliant analogy, isn't there, which is um, the toothpaste tube. You know, that words are like toothpaste, that when you squeeze that toothpaste out of the tube, you can't put it back in. There's no way of getting it back inside. And once those words have been articulated, you can't take them back. And so it is in the spiritual realm. When we don't speak life, those words are out there. But more than that, they don't just infect us. They infect everyone around us. If we have got something unkind or unhealthy or unhelpful to say about another individual, you can bet your bottom dollar that the moment we've just had that quiet chat with another colleague, they are going to have the same perspective as us, even if they didn't before. And however great they are and however much they might believe in speaking life or see the good things about that person, there's that tainted edge now of that person. They walk around a marked person in the workplace and a picture begins to build up and slowly but surely it infects everybody. It is so dangerous. It's so dangerous. And with these guys, that's exactly what's happened. A little bit of negative feedback which they think is helpful and in the best interests actually causes an entire people group to panic and to despair. And then it leads to this next part. You see, not speaking life breeds gossip, complaining, and discontentment. Let's take a look at verse 2 of Numbers 14. It says, Now all the Israelites murmured in discontent against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Oh, that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. A whole people group absolutely cranky with Moses and Aaron. I mean, they are, they're super discontented. They're not just complaining. They're basically saying, we would prefer being back in a place of captivity where we were tortured and oppressed than here right now following you into this land. They haven't even seen it. They haven't even seen the land apart from 12. The rest of them, they're just going on third-party report. Complaining and discontent are so prevalent in our culture. TripAdvisor, I mean, I do look at TripAdvisor before I book a holiday or that kind of thing, but often I wish I hadn't because you're always going to find someone, aren't you? I mean, it could be like seven stars, the most amazing hotel on the planet, and there'll be somebody who has found an enormous flaw and taken a picture just to prove it. We love a good moan, don't we? It's part of our nature. In fact, Brits abroad, we most often bond over the moaning. Oh, what a terrible flight. Can you believe we were delayed by an hour? <laughs> you know, oh, I'm never flying Ryanair again, uh, or whatever it may be. We might have to erase that from the, <laughs> from the recording. I love Ryanair. Speak life. 
You get my gist though, don't you? We love a good complain, but actually, complaining is a really big key that we have stopped speaking life. When we start to complain about the injustice of certain things in our own life, I'm not talking about the big ones that we were talking about over the last couple of months. I'm talking about the little niggly things that actually just come down to personal preference, personal prejudice, or personal differences. When we begin to complain about other people, when we begin to articulate our discontent to that degree, we can be sure that we have stopped speaking life. And it's a, it's a dangerous sign. And it leads to blame and finger pointing. You see, what happens here is, first of all, it's all the leader's fault. So Moses and Aaron, this is you. Why have you brought us here? I wish that we were back in Egypt. Oh, that we were still there or that we already were dead. It's all your fault. But then, take a look at verse 3. It moves on to God. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land of Canaan to fall by the sword? Now you can see how distorted their lens really is. Because the Lord's already said, I'm giving you this land. And actually, all throughout the wilderness, he reiterates at times that he has a place for them which will flow with milk and honey. There are promises that God has given them. They know here, they've accumulated knowledge from God that there's a land that has their name on it. And yet, the negativity, the failure to speak life has brought them to a point where they blame others and then they blame God. And finally, they get to a point, if you scroll down to verse 10, where it becomes all Joshua and Caleb's fault. And they all want to stone them because these guys pipe up for a second time. They're bold and courageous with their speak life report. They want to kill them. They can't hear it. They don't want to hear it. They are so entrenched now in their negative cycle. You see, speak life, finally, not speaking life, directs us and others away from God. And if you look at verse 3, they then say, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Verse 4, so they said to one another, let us appoint a new leader and return to Egypt. They take matters into their own hands. They stop trusting that this was God's path for them. And in fact, they just want to overthrow the regime and do what they want to do, which is go back because they're too afraid to go forward. The consequences of their failure to speak life were massive. God denied that whole generation the opportunity to enter the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb and the under-20s got to go in. It's so sad all of these people, not just the 10 spies who began the process, never got to see the fullness of the promise that God had to them, had for them because they failed to speak life. So very quickly, how do we know when it is speaking life? Back to Numbers 13, verse 30. Number one, when you're speaking life, it quiets fear. It says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Now that tells me that they needed quieting. They're obviously panicking already. Speak life talks to the fear within, and it talks to the fear around us. And it basically tells it to pipe down in a gentle and authoritative way. It's, it's the kind of church equivalent of Capt um, Captain Jones in Dad's Army. Don't panic, Captain Mannering! It quiets fear. Speak life doesn't deny the issues, 
but it chooses not to focus on them. Note that Caleb and Joshua don't refute or deny any of the challenges the land have. But the difference is they don't dwell there. They don't make it their focus. You know, when, when we bring a problem or when we see a problem, it's important to look at the problem so that we can find a solution. But actually, we're called to go up higher and to ask God what he sees and if there is a divine strategy or solution or if there is another perspective he wants us to focus on. If we keep focusing on the issue or the problem, we're just going to go round the mountain into that downward spiral. Speak life is a positive can-do mentality. 13, verse 13, sorry, Numbers 13, verse 30. When fear says we can't, speak life says we will. You see, those guys all say we're not able to. But these guys go, we will certainly conquer it. There's no doubt in their mind because God has said it. Speak life inspires action. I love Caleb. Let's go now. Let's take possession. I love it. It's moving faster than their fear. Of course, they'd seen the challenges. Of course, they'd seen the fact that there were battles to inhabit that land. But inside himself, he's like, well, God said it. I'm bringing a good report, and let's get going before we change our mind. You know, the key to faith is being able to move one step ahead of the fear that wants to overtake us. Speak life calls out the God potential and the God given. Love it. Numbers 14, verse 7. Joshua and Caleb say this, the land is an exceedingly good land. And later on, they say it flows with milk and honey. They are building this altar of faith with their words and saying, do you know what? Here's the God-given potential. Yes, we might feel a bit like grasshoppers, but you know what? This is a good land. This is a good place. They are calling out that God-given truth. Speak life remembers God's promises and his words from the past. Verse 8 of Numbers 14. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. They're going back to what God said at the very beginning, which is, I'll give it to you. It's yours. If he delights in us, if we keep our hearts right here, it's ours. It's got our name on it. They remember promises, and that's such a key, actually, to speaking life. As we pray for situations and we ask God what he sees, when he begins to speak, we've got to stand on that, even when we can't see it, with our natural eyes. It encourages other people to stick with God. Verse 9, they say, only do not rebel against the Lord. That's basically their way of saying, don't give up on God. Don't turn back and go back to Egypt. That's not going to be the right decision here. Keep going. Part of speak life for us in this church is actually to exhort others to stick with God when everything within them wants to give up. I know that there are lots of people walking through unimaginable circumstances right now, but part of our speak life DNA is to get alongside those people and say, I understand that you feel like giving up. I understand that you feel like turning back, but actually, you've come too far. Don't give up on God. Don't rebel against God. Stay the course. Speak life opposes fear and flips it to faith. I love this, right? Check this out in verse 9. They say, do not fear the people. They will be our prey. You see, these guys are looking at the people and they see them as giants. And they think that they're the grasshoppers who are going to get devoured. 
But faith and speaking life turns the giants into grasshoppers that these guys are going to eat for breakfast. They're our prey. We're the giants. You've got it the wrong way around. Love it. They will be our prey. And finally, and perhaps most importantly of all, speaking life ushers in the glory of God for everyone to see. Verse 10, the people are ready to stone these guys. They're about to die for their speak life. But the glory and brilliance of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting before all the sons of Israel. Why? Because God loves faith. God loves faith. He loves it when we choose to speak the language of faith that comes from a heart that has already said, I can't see it, but I see it with my spiritual eyes and now I choose to articulate your truth. He loves it. And so his glory comes and it's a game-changing moment. There's, There's definitely some consequences for the speaking life, which we've alluded to. But actually, it does enable the next generation to move into the promised land as God shows up. And they all get to see that vindicated, that vindicating moment. So, church, this week, in the next few months, and over the next few years, as we begin to step forward in faith into all that God is calling us to individually and corporately, we are going to face a choice. Will we speak life or will we not? Will we see God's perspective and then say what we see? Or will we just choose to speak out what we see with our natural eyes? The choice, my friends, is yours and it's mine to make. Why don't we stand? Lord, you have made us to be a church that chooses to speak life. And Lord, we know that it's more than articulating a wish. It's not like a genie in a bottle. That's not who you are. It's actually being able to speak life even when we don't see the outcome we hoped for. Speaking the language of trust and faith when the rubber hits the road and times are tough. Lord, I pray over us that as you ask us to take enormous faith steps as a church, as we birth new things into the area of social justice, as we believe you for a new premises in our city, which looks impossible on paper for so many reasons, may we be a church that defaults to a place of speaking life. May we never, ever lose the love and grace for one another in our language. May we not be those who have a culture of blaming and shaming. May we be those who love and cover with grace and cover with kindness, who build up, who exhort others to keep going when the discipleship journey is tricky. And Lord, I thank you that we are founded on this principle I pray, Lord, that in these latter days, our speak life essence would be even greater than it was in the former.
that this would be something that we not only catch, but that we run with and that we use daily. So in our workplaces, as we are sent out this week, would you show us where we have opportunities to speak life, truth, and hope to those around us? In Jesus' name. Amen.